Is there anybody out there who doesn't feel very significant? Not to raise your hand. But from time to time, we feel maybe less valuable than we ought to. From time to time, even in my own life, in my personal life, things we struggle through, there are times when I felt my value diminished for different reasons. Where I didn't feel all that I could be, or all that I was promised to be in Christ Jesus. But we all want that value and acceptance. We all want to feel ultimately valuable to God and to others, to our family, to those, to our, to those closest to us. Our attempts to find significance away from God's purpose ultimately lead us in the wrong direction. Because they're created in this, I'm sorry, because we're created in this image of a loving and patient God, and we're created in that image to mimic and to respond to His ways. We want to feel significant, but we can't do it outside of this purpose of this plan for us. It's just part of who we are that's need to feel significant. Now, as we said the last couple of weeks, you can drive this sense of significance in our lives to understanding how God made us the purpose, the purpose and plan He has for our life, or we can manipulate that into feeling self-importance. See, this idea that we want to feel significant and follow God's purpose can easily lead to an idea of self-importance if we don't learn to manage the feeling well. To feel significant is simply to make a meaningful contribution and value. The concept of self-importance is to make something of little value appear greater in value as we're trying to impress others. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read part of this verse, chapter uh, 3, I'm sorry, not chapter 3, verse, chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, there we go, I'll get there eventually. So we're going to read this scripture, and it's very common, I think, to most people. It's really centered on the idea of love that gives us uh, the scope of where self-importance and significance start to take two different paths. Says, don't be envied, it does not boast, it isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Again, here Paul is directly talking about the attitude of mature believer that is love, yet he phrases it in a very simplistic concept. That those of us who have real significance and understanding of God's love well enough inside of us to do and to be the all we can be, that it doesn't come from a place of envy. That's where self-importance comes in. It doesn't come from a place where we're both well, we are provoked and we have to show off to the world how great we are. Now that's self-importance. It's not proud. It doesn't lift itself up and have a proud voice. It's humble. It's nature. It doesn't dishonor others to get ahead. That's self-importance. It's not self-seeking because it is the center of attention because it's not self-importance. It's significance that ultimately matters. A need. A need to impress others. About you, it's all about you getting the glory or the satisfaction for whatever we see happening in our life. Significance is truly about God getting the glory for all that's going on within us, for all that God is doing through us. James chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. And He will exalt you. In the same way, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. We get this idea of the picture or the nature of Jesus. Jesus emptied himself and became a servant. And in verse 9, God exalted him. So Jesus comes to this people's life. He lowers himself to the form of a servant. He becomes someone who isn't concerned with self-importance, but ultimately the significance of his life. Lowers himself to be the servant for all men. And God himself lifts, lifts him up. 
James gives us this pattern in scoring that. That if we humble ourselves correctly, that at the right time, God will honor our humbling. God will honor our attitude, and He will lift us up in the place and the place and call us to. So we can, we can all go the wrong way and turn this idea of significance into something of self-importance unless we make it about the real thing, the primary thing, lifting God, showing up that our reason for being, that the reason that we're significant, that the reason that we put in the final do about all this too, isn't because we're trying to fill some selfish need. It's because we're trying to lift up the very character nature of Christ Jesus in us. Sometimes this looks kind of crazy, right? So you, you can do all kinds of big things for God and folks will look at you and say, well, I'm too, I'm too all puffed up and I'm too all full of yourself. Not just who I am in Christ Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's not about me showing off. And no matter what God does in me or through me, it's not about what I'm doing to show off. It's about what God is doing in my life that ultimately magnifies the person of who he is. That's really a humble nature. We'll get to this in a second. That's why it's difficult for some people. But when we try to be self-important, we exaggerate the little things. We start to stretch the truth just a little bit. We think that there's nothing wrong with a little bit of tweaking to the truth and it ends up with dangerous effects. Because eventually we start to tell a lie about ourselves to others to the extent that we start to believe our own facts. We start to believe a little bit bigger than we ought to be. We start to believe that maybe we're a little better than we really are. We start to believe our own facts. And sometimes in a positive way and sometimes in a negative way. Again, we'll get to that in just a moment. Paul talked about being part of the body. And one part of the problem is that the church and Corinth, they had all these spiritual gifts moving in their life. They had all these spiritual gifts moving in the life of the church. And everybody thought that their thing was nothing, and that made them very important. This church of God working all the spiritual gifts. And they have this idea that, that, that if there was one that prophesied, that he was above those who didn't prophesy. And if one had gifts of healing, that he was above those who didn't have that gift. And one, if he was motivated by faith, was above another who wasn't motivated by faith. You know, in church today, we still do the same thing. You see churches all over the United States that are separated, right? That's the faith church. That's the church about healing. That's the church that prophesies. That's the church of this and that and the other. And we move down the gifts and we separate ourselves by denomination, by gifts that when God sent to the church in Corinthians, come together under one umbrella, all of you understanding that you're significant because you're part of the body, not because you're independent from one another, that all of these gifts should be at work in operation within the local church. That's what makes it whole. And what we've done in church, unfortunately, too long is separate ourselves out. I hear people do it all the time. Well, this church is that, and this church is this. And sometimes it's true, like there are churches that put all aspects of the gospel and how God would operate through His Holy Spirit in the body because they're not comfortable with it. There is truth to it, but it's not what God intended. God intended for all of the gifts, the totality of how we operate as believers, happening within the local body so that we are mature, so that we are moving towards the ultimate goal that God called us to, that we all have an opportunity to play our part. Let me explain it like this. It's no more spiritual to clean the toilet in the back of some 
Because the young man was a great pastor, came forward, Pastor Bob Rodgers came up and said, All right. And he continued on with his purpose and preached the whole message with no notes, no anticipation that he would have to be speaking. Just finished it all for me. And as a young kid, before I hit that pulpit now, I'll tell you what, I have the big head. I'm on the big stage now. In a moment, it was shrunk down because my self-importance overlooked love for the community. But I didn't think through what I was doing enough to recognize it wasn't about me getting words out of my mouth. It was about feeding God's people. At that time, I thought it was just about standing on the pulpit, all eyes on me, the lights and the cameras on, and we are going to go for it. And I'll be the next Billy Graham in two seconds. It happened that way, did Listen, we all get to the space where we do what God called us to do, and our heads get so filled with pride that we don't recognize when we're not operating in a lifestyle of attitude of love. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 19. So no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you're a part of. No matter how significant you find yourself, no matter what position you play, no matter what part you play in the church, you are only a part, you're only significant because of what you're a part of. It's football season. I love football. I hate this sports becoming close. I really hate that. But I love, love football. Again, regardless of where you stand on some of those issues, I, I just wish we wouldn't have the arguments. I don't really care about it enough, and so I wish we would have the arguments, but it is what it is. But I love football. And every year I see the great quarterbacks of the league, the great quarterbacks of the league, you watch how they treat their offensive line, the guys that stand in front of them that block, for those of you that don't know football, they love this. They burn the guys that weigh like over 250 pounds. They stand in front of the quarterback and they say, don't touch him. That's their whole job. And what a great quarterback, they treat these men very well. They'll buy them watches and take their families on vacation and give them bonuses. Because every great quarterback knows, without those guys in front of me, without those guys doing the dirty work in the trenches, keeping the defense off of me, I can't perform my job. See, in our, in our own lives and whatever God's called you to, God may have you to be a prayer warrior in the trenches. Understand, I can't do my job without you. God may have called you to serve in his church and understand that if you're not doing your job, I can't do what I do. I may look like the quarterback from time to time, but really understand the Holy Spirit's the one that is leading this. And our significance comes, our significance comes because of what we are doing in the body based on who we are in God's body, not based on our level of performance. This is one of the few areas of life where it's not based on your specific level of performance, but it's based on what you're called to do and who you are in Christ Jesus. On an intellectual level, we all know what we should do. We know, everyone knows at a heart level what we should do. That when we drift off course, we know the truth about ourselves, where we're going, the different direction that we might be leading our life into. We have enough information, but sometimes it hasn't penetrated our heart to turn it into a transforming moment that we stay on the guidepost that God's led us to. It's important to know that God's called us to do something. But God put something on our heart to do and to be, and that we're not facilitating that to the best of our efforts. 
It's one of the most tormenting things that I see in Christianity and that I see in people's lives. When I look in their eyes and I see depths of despair and they're depressed, it's because they know in their heart that God's always is something different in their life and they're just not experiencing it yet. We have to question the intent and the behavior that backs those intents of our life. Are we doing what God's called us to do? Are we doing it with an attitude of love? Are we being all that God's called us to be within the body that He's called us to be a part of? All because when that information many times rather than belief of the heart. Many times we have good information. Okay, the, the, the Bible says that I should serve, so I'm going to serve. The Bible says I should give, so I'm going to give. The Bible says that I should invest in my church community, so I'll invest. But it hasn't made it down to your heart yet. You've got it here, but we're not operating out of a heart stand. It says I do this not because I should, but because my heart has been transformed, my motivation is different. Now I must do what God called me to do because I live from an attitude or extension of love. And until we get to this point, we can never say these words on its essential. Now this is a, a new term that's coming to our culture. I'm an essential worker. I'm essential for our community. I'm essential for the economy to keep moving. Listen, you're essential. If you're doing what God's called you to do, and you're doing it with the right attitude and motivation, everything that you do is essential. You want a sense of significance. We have to come to a place where we realize how essential we are in the body of Christ, how essential we are to this community that we call Great Family Church. Your part is incredibly important. Nobody can do what you can do. Nobody in here can do what you can do. Sometimes we think that we're just a part player, anybody can stick hands at the door. Anybody can, but if they're not called to do it, and they don't do it with an attitude of love, and they're stepping into your place because you're not fulfilling the role that God called you to, guess what? It will never be as effective as it should be. I don't care what God's called you to do. Again, if He's called you to clean the toilet, then find clean the toilet, do the love, and it will be one of the most rewarding things that you'll ever see done. In your life. Now you might say, whatever, you've never been to the toilet. Good question. As a friendly pastor, planting a church, you do everything. You do everything. You stuff all the envelopes, you prepare all the lyrics, you do everything in the beginning. And I can remember those early days, the tireless nights of doing everything we needed to do to grow the church, to develop a core group of of community-led believers that we would have impact in the Quad Cities. I remember every stitch of, of the detailed work that we had to do. Sometimes it was strained out of the old gymnasium in the YMCA just so we could have service. Just so it wouldn't smell as bad when people moved in. That was an essential part of the church moving forward. Whatever you've done in God's kingdom, with the right attitude, with the right motivation, knowing that you're called of God, you become essential. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. We don't have the right or the opinion to think about ourselves any way that we want to, other than what God has his opinion of us. Says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Who read that again? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. 
When I talk about this idea that we give ourselves fully to the, to, the, to the impression of God, to the impression of the Holy Spirit, to become more and more like Christ Jesus, that we live out our destiny doing what God's called us to do, this scripture encapsulates the idea better than any scripture in any testament as far as I'm concerned. That you are bought with a price. You're not your own. You don't need to decide everything anymore. You are autonomous, autonomous being your free will. But once we are under Christ, we understand we are not our own. But Jesus himself, by what he did on the cross, brought us back into the family of God. And then we have this command to glorify God and to show off the glorious nature of our God in our body and our spirit. But this human suit that we wear, it's not mine. That what I do with who I am, it's not mine. That these belong to God. So let me re- refresh what I said just a second ago. You don't have a right to the opinion that you think you have about yourself apart from what God says. Because when you devalue yourself and say, Pastor, I'm here talking about good stuff, doing great things for God, and kind of mission and goal and purpose, you don't understand who I am, where I come from, how many times I mess up, stop it. Stop for a second. That's not you. You think that's you because that's what you've gone through. You think that's who you are because that's the impression that life has put on you. But the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And we have now a responsibility to glorify God in this body and in this spirit. So you don't have a right to say just anything you want about yourself. You don't have a right to allow the world to say and to dictate who you are or who you are. You are not of the world anymore. You're of Christ Jesus. So when someone comes in and says, who do you think you are for believing in great things for your life? Well, let me tell you a second, buddy. Well, hold on for a second. I hope you've got 10 minutes because guess what? I've been bought with, with a price. I'm not my own. You're right in and of myself. I'm nothing but a low-down, dirty sinner. But everything in me, within Christ Jesus, has been made new. This body is not mine. This spirit that I live in is not mine. This job, this goal, this, this purpose that I have in me is not mine. It belongs to Him and Him alone. I'm just along for the journey. I'm just the best of the God's using to get us where we need to be. You don't have a right to rewrite the script once Jesus starts writing our story. Jesus didn't purchase a mess just to leave a mess. Jesus didn't buy you back. Listen, you buy something of great value, which we know we are of great value because we cost God his premier item, his son, his one and only begotten son. He suffered and died on the cross to pull us back into the family of God. But what he did that he paid for it. Can you imagine if you set aside a bunch of money? I mean, a truckload of money. Whatever a lot means to you. And you went to your favorite store and you bought this beautiful crystal vase and it's, it's just worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And you set it on display in your house. And the maker of the vase comes in and says, That's trash. You should have seen the other one by that. That one's garbage. How much you pay for that? Oh, you have your phone. That is trash. Value would you feel of what you place on display as a prize item? That we do this with our lives every day. Christ has brought us back. We are not ours. We don't belong to ourselves any longer. And we are standing on a pedestal where He's shaping and carving and creating the life for us. And He intends to display it in front of the whole world and say, Look at what I purchased. Look at what I've done. 
We turn this idea of significance and self-importance from when we become unavailable to what God's called us to. When we set up our life and we set up our heart and we said, God, I'll be cool later. Now we try to make something else important. We try to bring something else into our life to help us feel important to try to maintain a sense of significance. I see this happen all the time when I counsel with people, especially pre-marriage. They will spend tons of money, tens of thousands of dollars in a wedding, in a cake, in a venue, in a photographer, in a videographer, but spend all this time and money, and the primary thing, the most important thing, they're not even paying attention to. The primary thing isn't the day you get married, it's the day after, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. And I watch so many couples invest tons of time, energy, and effort into the day, and they forget that they're not available for counseling. So that when they move to the next day and the next day and the next day, they can be assured that their marriage at least has the tools to stay safe. Listen, let me help you. We do this in so many different areas of our life. We pour focus and energy into one small thing because we're not available for the big thing that God's called us to. Every effort, every effort where we are given of our and the capacities of who we are, when we give it over to God and we make ourselves available to Him, in everything that we give Him, it grows exponentially. It will be more enjoyable, it will be more rewarding, it will be more of everything when you decide to give yourself over to God fully, totally, and say, God, this is all you are. Now, you know I'm speaking kind of on a serial level here, so I'm kind of you know, a good philosophical idea, right? Let me give you some practical understanding. When I first came back to the Quad Cities, Lori and I decided we were going to start a church. We needed a job. I needed just a job to get through, to get a little bit of money. We were still getting paid from the church we came from in Pittsburgh. They graciously sent us out. And while we were here, I started to work for a car company in the area. And I'm not going to name the car company because some people might say good and bad at it. That's not the point. But I started working there and just every single day, going to work, doing what I was supposed to do, fulfilling all the tasks that were in front of me, uh, sitting with customers for this and for that, and having tons of conversations throughout the day. And I recognized that I could make a very good living in the quad cities doing what I was doing. In fact, I didn't have to start a church. I could have made a very good living. My kids would have been very well taken care of. My family would have been very well taken care of. I didn't have to risk it and start a church. But I that wasn't what God told us to but in that mundane every day, I could have gotten the attitude that this doesn't matter, let's just get on to the next thing. I could have cut myself off from being available to what God was doing in my life and in the life of the community that I was now part of, the part of this dealership that I was a part of. I could have cut myself off totally. I said, forget it. I don't want to witness anyone. I don't want to connect with anyone. I'm just going to do my job and go out the door because this isn't forever. God stopped me one day and he said, listen, I've given you a great opportunity. You need to develop within your heart a mission and a vision for this church that you're planning. You need to develop a mission and a vision so deep that you can't take it. He said, I'm going to give you an opportunity every single day to rehearse that vision. Because if customers came in to that car dealership, I was given an opportunity when I sat with them because the question always came up, what are you doing here? What are you working for? What's going on? 
Because God led them here, and God is leading them into a different season. You know that I could have just watched this over and asked a new person, well, we have someone, they left, and we're bringing a new person. Hallelujah, it'll be us. We could have talked to some of the world, nobody would think about it, talked about it. No, we're talking about it. Whenever God leads them, God leads them. They were unconfident that if we made a mistake, that God will move on us, and that we can fix that mistake, and if they made a mistake, that down the road, God can move on them, and that they can fix that mistake. So I'm confident enough that if we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, most of the time we'll get it right, sometimes we'll get it wrong, but we can always come to the church with grace and dignity and say, forgive me, and just move back into part of the thing. Today, I want to encourage you, no matter what God does, calls you to, live for God's purpose. Even if you feel boxed in, in, and it doesn't feel like it fits the narrative that you're living right now, it doesn't matter. Live God's purpose for your life. It's not my job to tell you what it is. It's my job to equip you. To hear the Holy Spirit, you can go out and do and be all the best possible. And this morning, I'm encouraging you. Take this time. Settle in your heart. God, I'm going to be all that you call me to. God, I'm going to do everything that you call me to do. God, I'm yours to control. I'm yours to you. I'm yours to God. One of my favorite TV preachers says like this. Sir, I'm yours to command. Every morning he gets up and says, Sir, I'm yours to command. What would you have me do? You wonder why he's ultimately incredibly successful? Every morning, that's the motivation. Every morning, his motivation is about what he wanted to do. I'm not moving today, so you tell me what to do. Now listen, don't get super spiritual on me. It's not about even crossing place or point place. That's not the point. But God, what, is, what, is, what do you want me to do today? What is my goal, my objective? What is my purpose for today? Because every day matters and every day matters. When will we get that motivation our heart to sit the death in the morning and say, Sir, you call me to, that's what I'm doing. 